Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. For thousands of generations, the gunslingers were knights. Sworn to protect us from the coming of the dark. These visions, as you call them. What do you see? I see a tower. The man in black. And the gunslinger. They're just dreams. They're not real, Jake. There's another world out there. I know there is. This is the film board from The Next Reel on Rashpixel.fm. We spoil movies, and this month we take on the new big screen approach to Stephen King's hybrid fantasy western series, The Dark Tower. I want to introduce you to our hosts first tonight, and I think that it's important for each of us to describe our history with the source material for some context and our frame of reference, because... after seeing this movie, I think that's what's probably going to dominate our conversation here is the whether you can call it an adaptation or uh, whatever it is. I think that's what we're going to talk about. So on a scale of Wastelands to Song of Susanna, tell the people <laughs> how much you live the Gunslinger Code. Andy Nelson. 
Well, I don't even know what you're referencing there with Wastelands and Song of Susanna. So perfect. Oh, so I I've never read any of the uh, Gunslinger uh, novels. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. I've read a good number of Stephen King novels. I understand Stephen King has this universe. He ties a lot of things together. I've read uh, what is it, The Eye of the Dragon, The Stand. So I I know that there's this Randall Flagg character uh, who kind of ties across them all. Um, and figures prominently in this uh, story. But I, uh, other than kind of the basic concept of the gunslinger and that it was kind of this this Western sci-fi sort of story, um, I don't know anything about it. So I'm a newbie walking in on this one. That is so awesome, and I'm really glad to hear that. <laughs> I was wondering uh, how we were going to uh, divorce ourselves from the source material for this, and you are going to be our great sort of uh, purifier on this show, Andy, <laughs> uh, because uh, let's hear about your history, Tommy Handsome. Uh, I'm Tommy Handsome, and all film board thugs serve the beam. I have read all of the novels, all of the uh, Dark Tower series, all of the connectors from uh, Stephen King, from Hearts in Atlantis to Eyes of the Dragon to everything sort of across the board. So I was very thrilled to see this actually come to life. We'll see how I thought about it. Uh, and that's what I have to say. Say well, thank you, I beg. See, see, and now that's some of the language, which actually wasn't in the movie. So Andy's still not going to know what you're talking about, Tommy. No idea. I, so I've read all the books. I, I I should say I've read the seven books that are in the sort of major set for The Dark Tower. There actually is another book that was written post The Dark Tower, which I found out in doing my research for this show. I'm going to have to go into the show notes and find that title as well. But I read all of them. My memory is a little bit hazy from them, but I loved the books. I was very much into them when I was reading them. I really sort of cherish the source material, and I care a lot about the mythology. That being said, the concepts are the things that I remember as opposed to the specifics. So that's kind of where we're going to get down to it. And I think that may set us with some nice gradation for the three of us and how we will approach this and spoiling it for everyone out there who hasn't or maybe just saw the movie or hasn't seen it yet. So before we get started, I wanted to let everybody know that you can find out more about this show and its sibling shows at thenextreel.com and then follow us for some fun movie frivolity on Facebook and Twitter at The Next Reel. So let's start off with our initial thoughts, and I think I want to switch that up a bit. So let's start with Tommy, because let's talk about the what you thought you were going to get into when you came and saw this movie and how it sat with you in, based on what you know intimately of the source material. Where are we with spoilers as far as the entire book series versus this film? That is a great question. Andy, do you have any sort of thoughts about that? Uh, you I, know, I think we're just spoiling. Now. When it comes to the book series, yeah, I mean, if people are tuning in, I, I think we just say right now that we're going to be spoiling the book series. At least Tommy and JJ will, and I'll just go along with it not knowing anything. Andy, how do you feel about that? Are you worried about being spoiled about the books? No, I'm not. Okay, so I think we should just do sort of our own thug slinger code and say here we spoil everything. <laughs> so so it's it's super fan time. Yeah, let's just blow it up because I think I think it's relevant. I think it's very relevant in terms of what they chose to put in this movie. So we spoiled well, not with our mouths but with our hearts. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So Tommy, give us give us. Andy's some remembered the face of his daddy. I think <laughs> yes. That's how it goes. Um, my initial thoughts are. I don't, it's really hard to get my mind around a little bit of this is what they finally came up with after such an incredibly long time spent in development hell and everything that this was the best way to do it. As a YA novel, like as a YA movie that doesn't have to do with anything, it's probably pretty diverting and probably a lot of fun. As anything representing the Dark Tower series, which is something that I love, uh, it's incredibly disappointing, incredibly unsatisfying, weird. Um, so I tried to watch it sort of both ways. And so I do think that there is some interesting stuff and there's some fun stuff in this movie if you just take it as a YA novel or a YA movie. Uh, but that is not what The Dark Tower is. And part of me wonders, and I want to hear from Andy, it feels like potentially a movie for no one. It doesn't give enough to fans. It doesn't give enough. It's too oblique and weird for newbies. And who is this film for? Thank you for bringing that up because I and I wanted to start with you on that based on you know what we heard from Andy's frame of reference because I think that's key to the conversation here because 
I think really the reason what it was made is because of how popular the series is. So Andy, can you answer that question a little bit for Tommy and your initial thoughts? I, you know, I, I knew, I knew what the property was and I knew it had gone through development hell. I knew it had fans. I have fan, I have friends who are huge fans like you guys of this series and really wanted to see something good. They're like, Oh, this is going to be amazing. They were excited when JJ Abrams and the team from lost were attached and they're like, Oh, this is going to be great. And I was just like, okay, well, maybe I'll read it one of these days. And I still never got around to it. And so when I finally sat down uh, and watched it, I, I kind of told myself, I'm like, it does seem like a YA novel. I don't think that I really have a problem with that. Um, I, didn't, I, I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a fairly enjoyable film, um, although at the same time, weirdly forgettable. Um, hmm. But I could also see like why Stephen King fans might be searching for something more. But at the same time, I also go, you know, Stephen King, he's, he's, I don't even know if it's fair to say 50-50 as far as, you know, adaptations go, as far as quality. Yeah, that's generous. Um, I think he probably has more bad ap- adaptations out there than he has good adaptations. What? Have you uh, seen Maximum Overdrive? <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. And, uh, and The Mangler. Yes! <laughs> the Mangler. <laughs> I keep forgetting that that actually existed. <laughs> and what was the one with the giant rats? In the, yeah, oh gosh, there there are some real bad ones out there, and so it's like you know it's Stephen King. I don't expect like the stuff that he's going to make or, or write the adaptations to be just really amazing. I think that yes, I understood that this had a huge following, and those people might be a little disappointed. But after watching, I'm like, you know, it's kind of it's kind of enjoyable. I mean, I I enjoyed the world. I think that's what I really enjoyed um, watching this. Is it's a really interesting world. I didn't find anything about it confusing. I I guess I could see how some people might get it a little um, get a little con- confuddled by the way things were happening. But I'm like, you know, I I kind of got it. I got enough of it to understand the world and the setup and everything. So. I enjoyed it. I just wished that when I was watching it, that the the story itself didn't just fall into so many standard screenplay tropes, where I just felt like it, you know it just was a play by play of so many scripts that I've I've seen and read in the past. And I'm like, eh, okay. Yeah. So, Akiva Goldsman. That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> right. I don't Thanks jump again. The script there, sorry, but, <laughs> sorry, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will definitely talk about that because I know that in our Slack channel we've talked a lot about that in preparation for the film. Is uh, you know who's writing it and and what we should expect by that. But I'm really glad you said that, Andy, because I think the fact that you weren't confused is really key, uh, especially for people who have read the full series, because there's so much world building and there's so it's such a comprehensive world that that there's just not even close to what it is in the film and i think even between us uh we were thinking that this was going to be some sort of adaptation for for lack of a better word adaptation of the first book or as we saw the trailer we thought that it was maybe the first book with a little bit of the second one um and i think the interesting part for me uh, being someone who was a lover of the books is that it took from just about every book there were pieces in this and that seems from from someone who's a fan of the books it seems that's impossible so i'm really happy to hear andy that you were not confused and that you were able to appreciate it for what it was um i i found it very difficult because i am a lover of the series i found it very difficult to divorce myself from that want of a of a fan to come and be objective to it so i'm super that's why that's why when you said you hadn't read the books i was so happy that you're here yeah it's very important because because we need that and i think tommy's question is really key too in that uh who is this movie for because it is it can't be for fans at all there there's it it's it, um, it it really doesn't touch even enough of the mythology to get sort of Unless you just love Idris Elba and it, Matthew McConaughey, I think it thinks it is really for fans because there's just so many random little things put in there but that it so seems little. like high fives to fans that don't that are just sort of like as uh, Andy said are just sort of like painting this sort of vague picture, an understandable but vague picture of this world that they just keep putting in so much little stuff where. For me, it's like, yeah, I get it. 1408. Yeah, I get it. Like you're 1919. All of these things that keep happening. Yeah, we saw the thinny. You didn't say it was a thinny, but I know what it is. But you never really got into it. Right. I think that it, it tried to be both and failed at very much at least on the fan side. 
Yeah. So that and and that's why I think it's important that we have Andy to tell us that there was stuff that there wasn't a failure there. I mean, 1919 is such a huge deal. I've seen posts on Facebook this week talking about how they scheduled the film, the first primetime showing of the film around the country at 719 to make I it saw 1919. So oh, I 1919? Yeah. I saw that on Thursday night. I'm like, well, that's a weird time to start a movie. What right. That so, so that kind of stuff I think is... So why didn't they I put the right, care Tom. into? Yeah, there's there's like a weird rogue faction within this movie that really cares about the source material. Well, I think my my sense from from reading about it is that uh, I mean there were a lot of cooks in the kitchen on this one. Sure. Um, it I mean it, it had gone through so many iterations. You know, it went through the J.J. Abrams years, and then it went through the Ron Howard years, and then it turned over to uh, Nicola Arkel and and all of his team. And I think that Ron Howard and his team were actually still tied to it. And then he's listed as a producer. Yeah. Ron right. And, yeah. and they're just all these hands were kind of in the kitchen trying to get this thing made and a lot of ideas and, and uh, you know, at work that uh, may have just muddled it a little bit, but uh, you know, in the end, and I totally appreciate and understand that for fans, it likely is disappointing. Um, it, it's weird though, because like from my perspective, it has some of those details that you get in in stories like Lord of the Rings that have like just just reading the story or watching the film, you can sense that there's this big history around everything that's going on and all the little details throughout the film. Like I get a sense of that history without right. having to understand it, and so I really appreciated that, um, and uh, which which I thought was really interesting. I mean, it's it is very much. Um, like those and and yes I I mean I I haven't read 1408 but I know uh, I I know it from the movie uh, so I saw the 1408 I'm like oh there's a Stephen King nod and the and the Pennywise you know uh, yep. Playland yep. or whatever it was and I saw that and so there were a lot of little fun nods to Stephen King properties as they kind of all tie together and tons of 19s in the movie yeah, which, and which I don't know what nice. the 19 is though I guess that's something I didn't realize was a thing it's throughout Stephen King's writing um, that he. F- that 19 is just this enormous number for him. He has some uh, amazing characters with 19 letters in their names. 19 letters in their names. It's always throughout. So like every bus that passed by, every in the background of stuff, which I appreciate, in the background, numbers almost always added up to 19. Oh, interesting. So every time, like the overhead shot where a bus goes by and you see the overhead thing, it adds up to 19, like all that stuff. I like those little things. It's not enough, yeah. but I like those little things. And I'm glad that you brought up real quick um, Lord of the Rings for me, because it, I'm on a weird side of this, because I'm, I guess you would say I'm the film board thug that is against fantasy, not against fantasy, but fantasy doesn't uh, thrill me that much. I don't like these kind of fake worlds and fake world building stuff like this. But this film for me was kind of like if they took, if uh, a director said, oh, I'll take care of Lord of the Rings. And instead of Peter Jackson, some other guy did it. And he was like, instead of making three, three hour movies, he's like, I got it in 88 movies, in 88 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> he took that entire like world. That entire, exactly, that entire world, all of that stuff that Peter Jackson did, and they said, we're just going to shove it into a 95-minute movie. Yep. The end. That's kind of the best way that I can explain on my end the kind of frustration that I have with it. Well, and that's what I want to ask. So how much was Stephen King involved with this? Because some of the comments that I've been getting from people are you asking if Stephen King's going to be upset by this. My understanding is he actually really appreciates it and, and loves what they did. He was involved all through the whole thing. And yeah. I think what he told the, the I don't know if it was the director or the producers, when he saw it, he, he said something like, you guys, you guys got it. You got the... He said you remembered the face of your fathers, is actually he, he what did. he said. He yeah. really? Oh, he wow. said that in, in, a, in a tweet. Yeah, and I think it was something where he, he, he said you guys got the core of it. You guys understood what the essence of it was, and you, you brought right. that to it. Well, that's kind of what we're looking at here, right? Like the 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 books are the fruit. Like you're eating the apple, and this movie is just the core, the leftover core. <laughs> what do you do with the core? Do you eat that? No, 
<laughs> you throw it away. Uh, no, but I, 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 I ask about Stephen King's involvement because you've got to kind of wonder with all the different people that were involved, and we talk about all the different cooks in the kitchen, and Akiva Goldsman really being the 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 fixer in Hollywood. He's the one that comes in and gets it made at the last He's minute. He's the best. He's the best. Um, <laughs> you know, I think there are there are homages to to the work. Um, but it's, you know, it's few and far between. So is it enough? And if Stephen King thinks that that's enough, maybe that's okay. He, well, to be fair, Stephen King, I think, says the same thing about every adaptation when yeah, it comes out. <laughs> he also just wants so, it to be made. He's also right. said that he well, was like, he was upset that this one, not upset, but he's like, I get that this one is a PG-13. Hopefully the next one will be an R. He seems to be the only person thinking that this will have a sequel. Okay, so we're, ja- well, we're jumping is. ahead, but it's, what's it's the next a TV one? Series. It ha- it's having a TV series sequel. Do you think okay. it is going to? It's a prequel. Well, well that, what so Wizard and Glass, we should tell you, Andy, Wizard and Glass is, is a complete departure from the other novels in the series. And it's an entire book that is a prequel as well. So it's oh, well, not, it's not to say that the TV series is going to be Wizard and Glass, it actually takes place in a completely different time than what you've seen. Well, what it says on, uh, on Wikipedia, source of all knowledge, Mm-hmm. It says, the series has been confirmed to fill in the backstory to the film being based on King's The Dark Tower 4, Wizard and Glass, The Dark Tower, The Wind Through the Keyhole, and Elements of The Dark Tower 1, The Gunslinger. Okay, so that's all prequel stuff. Right. Yeah. It, well, yes. To it, this. It, you think of it in chronological order. You have Wizard and Glass, and then Wind Through the Keyhole, which was written post-Dark Tower, and then you end up at the front end with The Gunslinger. So, again, that's kind of leading it in, but... Yeah, it's it's really difficult to see if Stephen King thinks there's going to be a sequel. What what's going to be in the sequel? What are they going to do? Well, the sequel he uh, they said it would be R. It would be um, he said it would include Roland wearing a hat, and that the opening scene of the Dark Tower two <laughs> wait what drawing, would include Roland wearing a hat. I don't know if that's <laughs> is a that key Im- thing. is that important. JJ? I, don't I don't know. You guys that. would know. I don't. I know. know. I'm <laughs> apparently it is to King. But oh right, would... the hat. I don't. Know, I don't remember <laughs> that sarcasm. being a big deal. Yeah, That's go ahead. Yeah. And then he says the opening scene of the Dark Tower Two: The Drawing of the Three, in which Roland loses two of his fingers to lobstrosities. Lobstrosities adapted. That's the data chuck dada chim. That's the noise they make. What? Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm so. What I mean to say is, I love chicks and sports. All right, go ahead. <laughs> well, no, but the, wait. So he said that the opening of the Drawing of the Three is going to be part of the sequel. I guess so. Is so is he just throwing out like red herrings because that's that's because chaos because that's, that's all chaos later. because that because the gunslinger has pieces or not the gunslinger the dark tower the movie we just watched has pieces from everything surrounding all of those things so why would you oh man I'm super confused by that I think potentially he's a good guy to have on your <laughs> team for a studio. Like this yeah, remember, is his. This is part of his who directed Maximum Overdrive. He definitely is. He does Very not good. remember it though. Thanks, cocaine. But <laughs> um, the. But I mean, maybe he's just a good soldier. Yeah. As far as this is his life's work, and it's finally getting some sort of release. So maybe that's. Maybe we should take all that a little bit. I mean, part of what I want to talk about is the script. Like, is this the only way that they could have really done it? Yeah, that's interesting because, well, I'm curious from you guys because you guys have read it. My understanding is that it's kind of a not easy to adapt series where it doesn't really really have any semblance of a resolution. Seemingly impossible. Seemingly impossible. Yeah. So I guess that's my question is, is like, could anybody really have effectively adapted it in a way where people would have been happy? That's the cynical part of me. Well, not the cynical, the understandable part of me, which is I get it why they went the YA route. I mean, it is not Jake's story. This is Roland's story, the entire Dark Tower series from beginning to end. Jake is just one of the many characters within it. But to have Jake, I mean, it it helps fill the four quadrants. As a preteen. <laughs> As a preteen. I mean, it just, it kind of makes sense. I get it why a lot of People in Hollywood land were like, we did it. We got it. If we start it with Jake and it's from him, A, he's the audience surrogate. B, we get kids in. We'll make it PG-13. C, you know, we'll see it through his eyes, all that stuff. I get that. I do get it. And maybe that was the only way to do it. I guess as a super fan, I would say don't bother. 
And Andy, we should tell you, so the non-resolution piece of the Dark Tower is kind of a total recall sort of thing where it's like it opens up for a revolving door of right. the story. So that's, so, and that's, you know, the big spoiler here is, is that that's what you're going to get at the end of this amazing sort of epic book series. Now, what one interpretation of this script and this story is, is that this is another turn of that revolving door. And it's just, and it's different for those reasons. And I think, you know, we talk about whether Stephen King is okay with it. Getting the core or the concept of getting the core it goes towards that, right? So he, he, if the writers understood that the core of this is that this epic journey happens over and over and over again, just infuse the mythology enough and you've now written another turn of the wheel. Well, the director himself actually said that this is kind of a sequel to all of the books, which Weird. I thought was interesting. Oh, like, he oh. did? Then yeah. that's exactly what it is. That's exactly yeah. what it is. Oh, because, okay, for super fans, uh, you can see, uh, Andy, <laughs> just put your mind on pause for a second. For super fans, it's pretty, for me, it was pretty clear that uh, Roland is uh, carrying around the uh, horn of Eld in his knapsack the entire time. Uh, that's what he didn't have the entire length of the Dark Tower series, and then when he was sent up to the top floor of the Dark Tower, he was sent back to redo it, and in this next wheel, at the very end of the Dark Tower, he picks up the Horn of Eld, giving us the hope that maybe this next time, it will be different. They don't bring up any of that in this movie, of course, but for super fans, he does seem to be carrying the Horn of Eld, so that would make sense with this being the next wheel the yep. next round about the wheel that we're what we're everything we've seen before is prologue now we're just seeing the next version that still makes me want to punch the film in the face but, <laughs> but that first shot or close to the first shot we kind of have a debate here about what the first shot is but the idea of the carousel shot of the wheel going around that might make it interesting but what i would say then if that's the case why wouldn't you market it that way why wouldn't you say why wouldn't you throw that out there why how does it hinder your ability to sell the film to say we loved the dark tower so much that here's the next thing that's what during because you're cutting the, out everyone that didn't read it mm, are yeah. you really though i think they would i think that's what they were afraid of is my guess yeah, that's probably is they're fair. trying to make that's sure. why it's a ya novel again the entire movie is an audience surrogate that they're trying to grab everyone interesting instead yeah. of just fans yeah so so then do we think so I think fans are going to be upset by this. Yes. I mean I was completely disoriented in the film. I didn't know what was going on. I was like, "Oh yeah, I remember that piece. Oh, I remember that piece, but that's not that's not the way this is supposed to be happening." That's how I felt the entire time. That's why I keep going back to the thing of just like why bother? Right. It just feels like a money like a slightly loving money grab, but just right. slightly loving. Well, it obviously is a property that I mean from a financial point of view, I can understand how they would be nervous about putting money into a property that's like, you know, everybody's talking about how this is not really, it's impossible to adapt. I mean, are we going to, you know, lose our shorts on this thing? Um, so I can understand why they'd be like a little hesitant to put money into it right out of the gate. But I mean, obviously, the right people didn't convince them. I, I, I mean, I thought it was interesting hearing that Ron Howard and his team, they had planned to do this as three films with with TV seasons in between each of them to kind of connect it all see i think I that like, sounds awesome that sounds better which sounds also like sounds like something nobody's ever done before where right is, <laughs> sure know, i'm like that's really innovative and i kind of was excited to kind of hear about that as as a as a possibility to to do but you know obviously that all fell away yeah and then this nicola arkel comes in to direct it i was like who is this guy who who they finally gave this property to like i didn't even recognize his name and i'm like I, this is the guy that they picked to direct this massive stephen king project that everybody's in love with well and how did you feel about that i mean how did you feel about the direction from what we saw there <sighs> i it wasn't a, a problem i i mean i thought that he handled the the story the characters the the effects everything effectively enough but I think the script was just so um, by the numbers, connect the dots, that uh, I, I, I really couldn't give much credit to the director for anything because it, it was all so just by the books. Yep. Um, I felt like the, the yeah. script was a, was a coloring book that hadn't been colored in yet. So there, right, there yeah. didn't seem to be any effect <laughs> from, the, from the director. I mean, some of the, the staging, it, it didn't seem like there was anything noticeable from what he did. But then again, he had a piece on the screenplay as well. He was one of the cooks there. So. Right. Yeah. 
I mean, there were there were moments that I, I appreciated. I, I liked the the focus on the gunslinger and the way that he would kind of uh, shoot. And unfortunately, they kind of spoiled it in the trailer. But that moment where he kind of stops after the um, the man in black's uh, henchmen have kidnapped Jake and have run off with him in the oh the skin town. people yeah that's like and, that's maybe the best part of the movie yeah and, and which sucks of, because it's in the trailer yeah, yeah exactly it's frustrating because he stops and he has to listen and focus and then he shoots that was really uh, creative and I enjoyed all of that element um, but then you look at something like there's the fight with the I don't know what it is, but whatever the creature is that comes through the the rip in time or yep. the universe, the or whatever thinny, it is, yeah, uh, yep. yeah, that they have to fight, uh, and uh, and that was so dark and and just kind of so like okay, yeah, here we go, we're just doing the big fight with the thing, and it really didn't do much <laughs> right, yeah. fake thing doing a thing, yeah, no, yeah. I felt the same way, and the same way with the house demon, right, yeah, it was uh, just such a forgotten scene so of quick, like so who cares, yep. Yeah, it was it was a strange scene, but uh, that was one that I, I didn't like the way the scene happened, but I did like the the fact that it happened and the way that it's revealed. It's not like we had to go through this big exposition about oh, and if you go through it, then you have to fight this big demon. And I mean, we find out later he's like he killed the demon, and I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting because I was like, what the hell was that thing? That oh, that's true to come out of nowhere. Yeah, and it's like that was really interesting the way that they didn't set it up at all; it just happens. So I actually quite appreciated that. As bad as it was, I thought, as far as how they did it. And the tough part is, for readers, we were waiting for that. Right. Yeah, right. The house demon well, is a thing on Niebold Street. Yeah. And the, the I guess maybe that's the best thing you can say about this movie, is that the things that were interesting, you wanted a lot more of. Mm-hmm. And the things that were not interesting, you got way too much of, even in the 88 minutes. The, the, the two things you mentioned, the house demon and the thinny, the, the, those fights, I think they're the only real action things that are not in the trailer. Is right. that correct? I think, think you're right. Yeah. The trailer. Yeah, and there's I mean, just there's I mean, random the parts about the final uh, showdown with uh, Randall Flagg, or the man in black, uh, with him like catching glass and stuff. In the second trailer, yep. there was some of that, but... Yeah, there was. I think there was a, a lot more of the gunslinger in the trailers, if I recall. More just about him, you know, shooting at things, and it was like the the different people in the the old western town place that he's right. fighting them off, and then in uh, the I don't know the final uh, uh, slaughterhouse or whatever it is they're in. Yes, the Dixie Pig. The Dixie Pig. Yep, right, right. I think if you add up how many trailers I've seen for this film, it actually reaches 88 minutes. So <laughs> I was surprised that there wasn't, uh, that there were, were I spent longer seen. getting my soda. Am I right, folks? <laughs> Lines at the movie theater. Sorry, that's a part of my tight five about movie theaters. Go ahead. Uh, so we talk about uh, Idris Elba becoming the gunslinger. I think, you know, he was the, the, the selection after a long, a long, list of people that were considered for this role just like the directors and the writers lining up for this this uh, property this what did you guys think of what he did i thought uh, he was excellent i did too i yeah, loved him too. he he's the reason that the movie works at all for me actually i really like tom taylor too we'll get to him in a second but i just thought he the world weariness the how he looks in that coat, the all of the ways that he <laughs> that handles the guns awesome. and stuff. He just he looked, looked so I mean, awesome. that was I mean, you know, uh Roland is not necessarily African American in the story. Uh when he was cast, that didn't bother me because I was like, nice, Idris Elba, let's do this, Luther. And he was just extraordinary. He's just so good. I think he might be one of those actors where I'm like, I'm just good watching you no matter what. Yeah. He really is. I, I loved him in this, and and uh, absolutely, he carried the weight of the film. Even though the story is uh, Jake's, um, you know, for for good or for bad, you know, we're following Jake. It's kind of his journey through this particular uh, story. But uh, Roland is really the guy who carried it, and and uh, Elba just was uh, just always engrossing to watch on screen, and and certainly any other uh, Dark Tower properties that include him, I would certainly go watch. So let's talk about Jake then. We we say that it's his story, uh, and Tom, you said you like Tom Taylor. Uh, what was special about his performance for you? I don't know. I just thought he was adorable. I thought he was really good. Yeah. I liked that I'd never seen him before. That helped. Uh, he had that kind of look that I'm looking for for a Stephen King shine kid, which if you're looking for like the thing that Stephen King keeps going back to over and over again, 
is uh, the young boy with the shine. Um, and he, I thought he handled himself very well. It, this always, this had the chance to be, what was that kid that was in the Star Wars prequels? Oh, I don't oh, know his Jake name. Lloyd. Jake Lloyd. This had the chance to be a Jake Lloyd situation. Right. Uh, no discredit, Jake Lloyd, if you're listening. You're not. Um, but <laughs> I thought he was really, I just, I liked him. I thought he was very sympathetic. I thought he was very interesting. Uh, I liked him. Or speaking to Stephen King properties, um, you know, the, uh, the kid who was uh, in The Shining, I thought, carried it really well. The kid who did the Shining TV remake of it was horrible. Oh, with Stephen Weber? Uh, yeah, the, yeah, that that kid in that one. Uh, and again, no no fault of his own. He's just a young actor at the time. But it just was it was really frustrating watching him after having watched uh, the kid in, in sure. Kubrick's version. Um, and I, I completely agree. Tom Taylor, I thought, did a great job as this kid who was just struggling between you know, trying to figure out if he's crazy, what's going on with these visions and, and you know, these other worlds and, and taking it all in and handling it all really well and just kind of moving along with it. The only time that I didn't like him, and I blame, I blame the writers and directors, I don't actually blame him, is when he comes home to find his uh, stepfather and mom killed. I just, oh God, that scene was just painful to watch. I just didn't think anybody carried it off well. Yeah, well, and and the cut there, right, that leads up to it with Matthew McConaughey saying, "I left him a," did he say, oh, "I left him yeah. a surprise or something?" Yeah, it, it, it was cheap, and I think they it, we talk about that this is now eighty eight minutes. It didn't start that way, so there was a lot of stuff that was on the cutting room floor. You you got apparently wonder. it was two and a half hours, and and I oh should correct goodness. it. I keep saying eighty eight. Now it's apparently ninety five. Okay, right. so I apologize. I was the one that said eighty eight, but yeah, two and a half hours. It. I'd like to see that movie. Yeah, this is what I'm curious. I'm curious if there will be a director's cut. I'd be really interested to see what additional information there they provide. Yeah. In general, though, I thought the acting was solid all around. I didn't dislike Matthew McConaughey either. I thought he was fine. He's not the man in black that I envisioned. I thought so. Again, Idris Elba, not particularly Roland from the books, but carried it off. Matthew McConaughey, similarly, not particularly the man in black, but they embodied the characters as well as I think you could do. I would never have pictured Matthew McConaughey having read The Stand or um, Eye, Eye of the Dragon um, in that particular uh, character, but um, but I really enjoyed him in it. And it, what I think was just interesting, it might have just been the character, but it's just it's an interesting character, and just the way that he uh, looks at people and, and just and plays with them and uses them as just disposable things. Their ants, yeah, it was just yeah. so interesting. And regardless of, of any writing issues that, that might have surrounded him as a character, I actually enjoyed Matthew McConaughey in the role quite a bit. I did too. And you, you mentioned The Stand, I think. Uh, so I had to go back and look who played uh, uh, Randall oh, Flagg was, in The Stand from the TV series. Was it was awful. Jamie Sheridan. He was so wrong for that role. Yeah, well, but he did make it look pretty evil. I kind of yeah. dug him in the sh- in the show. Uh, I kind of liked him. <laughs> you didn't like it, Andy. I, you know, I, I guess my my issues with him... Only they all revolve around the the because that was a five part miniseries yep. as I recall and it was the fifth uh, the final uh, part of that miniseries that I just was like I was so frustrated with him something about the way that they they resolved everything in that I just didn't like him in it they changed his name well in the books he's Walter O'Dim but in the movie they said something like Walter Paddocks ooh, did I didn't anyone else know they did you're right it wasn't it what's wasn't Walter O'Dim. Paddock. I've never heard that name before. Walter O'Dam or Randall Flagg, the walking dude, the man in black. Like these are all the names that we know. I don't know who Walter Paddock's is. Maybe I missed something. And the, in, in the credits, they only list him as the man in black. So they don't give him the Walter name, which is okay. interesting too. So in, see, I guess, I think this is an interesting point that we're, we're all somewhat happy with the, with the acting performances that we saw in the film, that really it's kind of the, the thinness of the story and the, the the slight bit that we got in ninety five minutes, now that if we're being correct, that we we were happy with the world building, we were happy with the mythology. It's just not enough. I guess for me it was fine. I just I I could have used a better story with a few of the uh, typical screenplay tropes. Didn't bug me too much. But I mean, I guess from my perspective, I would love to, I would love to know what it is that. And I guess I just have to go back and read the books. But like. If it were to be just the first book, like what would that adaptation look like? I'd be really curious to to find out. And if that's what you guys would have expected. 
The first book would make a terrible movie. No, well, <laughs> now the first JJ, one is my favorite. JJ's well, a super, on the right track. So, JJ's a super, super fan of the first book, which is called The Gunslinger, and he is known for being the only super Person fan who likes of the, the first, first book. Everyone loves the 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 series starts with the second book. Definitely which true. Which is uh, The Drawing of the Three. That's where and none of those characters except Jake are in this movie. Like this is part of the thing of like if this is going to be the gunslinger movie we get. It should have been drawing of the three. It's so good. Well, gunslingers and, and rough. the gunslinger movie. I mean, that's the thing. If they made it, they could have probably could have made the first book in like eighty minutes and I or or seventy five. Like because it's it's very straightforward, very very simple, very it's it's basically sort of like it's a bellwether to the to the entire rest of the series but it's not it doesn't carry a lot of weight it's basically it's 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 ringing saying hey here's the theme that you're going to get throughout the rest and that's why i loved it because because right. the mythology it set up jake. is, it, he, is it's the first time he meets the first inner uh version of jake he does the let first jake version of jake yeah there are other okay. worlds than these uh he um uh the what is it the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed yep. i'm probably getting it wrong but yep. it's something like that first line um he is just in a flight after the man in black during it he meets jake a different version of jake one would think he lets jake younger. he lets jake die in his attempt to, I can't stop doing this because I need to face, uh, I need to get my revenge. Should I stop talking? <laughs> I feel like this is for no one. <laughs> this, <laughs> well, that's interesting. I, okay. I uh, he he lets Jake uh, die. Uh, he falls to his death, which was actually uh, a little bit of a um, echo in the scene that Gunslinger holds Jake over the cliff, saying, you're a spy, you're a spy. That was a little bit of a high five to fans. Um, but in a very different way in one version while he he has the chance to either go after the man in black or save Jake he makes his choice Jake dies and as a result he's sort of damned for the entire series because of that he meets another version of Jake later which is also a little bit of a high five for fans in the movie when that guy shows up behind Jake uh, when he's waiting at the stoplight and the bus is about to show up where this guy is saying, um, hey, you're one of the shine, you're the shine, you're the shine. Actually, in the book, he is pushed in front of the car and is killed. Jake by is? Yes, by one of the Men in Black's minions, oh. and that's how he shows up in one of the things it, as in Midworld. Is that right, JJ? It sounds, see, again, once you start getting into details, it's not the stuff that I'm super familiar with. I don't really remember that as much as the concepts. But, Andy, yeah. you're starting to see why it becomes very difficult to sort yeah. of lace this together into a narrative storyline for a film. Um, here's, here's a question I did have that I was, I was like, I kept asking like, is this, does it ever, does the dark tower ever figure in as a, as a actual location in the story? I it was like, I wonder if like at some point or are they supposed to end up in the dark tower? Was that a thing yeah. that was it's, supposed it's, to happen? It's and the never end here. It's always, yeah. The, the, the two um, goals of the gunslinger Roland to Shane is, uh, get his revenge on the man in black, and then also enter the dark tower. Right, but it's very enter. briefly. Huh. Okay. Yeah, it's it's briefly, and it's and it's saved for the end. It's the kind of, it's the carrot at the end of the stick that led so many people through the uh, through the series. I think. I mean, wouldn't oh, you say that, Tommy? Yeah, no, it's it's almost like a MacGuffin. Yeah, right, right. For certain things, it's just a reason to be for a lot of it, and then um, it is treated as such in the books. Huh. Were there any other actors that you guys wanted to talk about? Jackie Earl, Earl Haley in this film, I thought was was interesting. Um, I could have seen more of him. It's a big character in the books. It's weird just what they picked and what they didn't. And I was really, I felt like he was a, an important character. And then his battle was so, <laughs> I don't know, it just ended so softly. It seemed like there was going to be a lot of really interesting stuff happening with their battle. And then it's just like he gets hit by a car. That was the end of it. Yeah. And, it, and with, ba with bad wire work, some of that seemed <laughs> yeah. to maybe a little bit like reshoots or something. Yeah. Of like, all right, we got to go. Yeah, right. Well, we got we to keep move moving. On. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought Dennis Haysbert was fun as, uh, as Roland's dad. I would assume that there's a lot of him in the two and a half hour version. Not just this one scene at the end of Jericho Hill where they... Uh, you know, where they're dying, where he dies and stuff. I would assume that they just, they cut it to the quick and they said, okay, it's about daddy issues. 
Yeah, and, and that's and it. It was interesting to me. I liked that bit in there. I liked having Dennis Haysbert in there as that connection for Roland. I certainly wouldn't have minded more of it, but the bit that was in there for me provided at least enough backstory for Roland so that I could kind of connect with him and, and his oath as a gunslinger or his creator sure. code or whatever. So moving out into the production, I think one of my favorite things about it was uh, was the hair and makeup and what we saw from what they did with the skin people. I thought they oh. used that very effectively, um, especially because when those type of characters start getting introduced in the books, you start feeling like it goes a little crazy uh, and gets a little... It's so late in the series. It's very late in the series, and it feels very odd. It feels like it's taken a turn that was different from the entire story. I think in, <laughs> yeah. the, I think in the film, they actually integrated it in a way that it actually made sense to me. Um, I was happy with it, and I thought it looked good. I thought it was a great sort of marker for them to use in what they were doing. I loved it, and the little hints that I had, it was uh, that's the world building that I loved in this. Is like having these people. I never really got to see what they looked like without it. I was so curious, um, but just like always, those little bits where it just kind of it starts sliding off, and they just kind of stretch it back into place. I mean, you I did get that a good just, look at Ratface. Yeah, we did. That's what they look like. Well, it, when when uh, Matthew McConaughey comes in and goes, "Hey, find a skin or find a face." Yeah, but even Raf, but he always has a mask on it. So it's like I didn't really get to because he's got like the, right. the little yeah, like the doctor's mask over. They're his face. So they're animals. They're all animals. Oh, interesting. They're just animals wearing people. Uh, and... Like in the books, oh, they're like really? bird people. They're like ravens wearing so skin masks. It's, that makes it, more it, sense it, than when yeah. Roland says, "Do the animals still talk in your world?" Um, going back to like Wonder Woman and. And, and Captain America and any of these sorts of stories where it's like, you know, somebody who's not from this particular time and place who has to figure things out. Fish out of water stuff. Those montages, are, which can always be kind of painful sometimes. Um, I, they didn't, it wasn't too bad here, but that was one of those moments where it's like, do the animals still talk here? I mean, it was cheeky and it was fun and I, I kind of enjoyed that little moment. Um, between him and Jake, um, but but it, it, but now I think it takes on a bigger meaning, knowing that they're like animal people. Well, that might because I, I thought it was a uh, a comment about Oi, my oh, beloved yeah. Oi, who's the Billy Bumbler, the Billy Bubbler, basically sorry. a dog. Basically, you're talking, and, you're talking nonsense. <laughs> I know. I'm this guy now. I know everyone's name. The Oi is the Billy Bumbler. <laughs> Woo! His name is his name. They call him Oi because he. Oh, how things have <laughs> changed. Billy, yeah, should we not? Should we not no, go into Billy it. Bumblers? Do it. Yes. Okay, Billy Bumbler is it's a it's a mix of a dog and a raccoon and something else. It's the most adorable uh, animal you could ever have. And they call him Oi because he can just say the last part of words that he hears. And when he hears Jake is the boy, he says Oi, Oi, all the time. So they call him Oi. So I thought that that was a little bit of a high five to fans as far as saying, oh, in your beloved uh, series that you're not getting at all, there is a really lovely animal that is like super important to the entire series called Oi. (laughs) I, I like Andy's interpretation from what we just I'm found so way annoying. better than that. But, I uh, know. Yeah. I feel like I'm the most annoying person on this podcast, but I finally have something to talk about that isn't baby triceratops <laughs> for the win. Oh, you love that. I do. <laughs> so anything else from the production or or the post-production we should talk about? The, the, the music was, uh, I mean... In general, I was taken out of it so much because I found myself trying to separate my immediate experience from the book that I that I I didn't really get to check it out objectively. There wasn't a whole lot of camera that was interesting to me. There wasn't a whole lot of thing that I guess that's why I brought up the hair and makeup because that was the thing that I noticed right away that really was something special for me. The color palette was pretty dull. There wasn't a lot to like latch on to. It was all very just sort of gray and dull, even before we got to the wasteland. Yep. So it just, yeah. And some of the effects, it went back and forth. Like, are we talking about special effects also? Sure. Um, yeah, they went from okay to pretty dodgy at times. Yeah. I was surprised by some of the lack of care for the effects. Certainly with the one that was, um, what would you guys call the one that comes through the, the rip in the universe? The thinny. The thinny. The thinny. That one, it's just like it was so dark watching that fight. I'm like, it had to. They had to have issues with that scene, so they just made it dark so that you didn't have to deal with the right? poor effects. Yeah. Because it was just all like it's just such a dark scene. 
I didn't have problems with really anything related to the production, the cinematography. I actually kind of liked the music. Can't hum the theme or anything, but I still I thought it worked well for it. Dark Tower. But <laughs> oh well, yeah, there, so there was that. Dark. I forgot the musical part of it. Yep. But but on the whole, um, I think it all fit in with kind of the Akiva Goldsman's script of the whole thing. It yep. it all fits. It it all works nicely. It's a nice Hollywood package for the project. So I I guess I didn't have any complaints, but it also didn't stand out. I'm gonna start calling him the Wolf. They just bring him in, <laughs> get it made. Make it happen. I yeah, but it. the wolf <laughs> but the wolf made things better. Oh. He just didn't make things happen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the wolf, up messes, Akiva, Akiva Goldsman as the wolf is like, hey, uh, instead of uh, towels and cleaning it, just buy a new car. All right. <laughs> like that's the wolf of Pulp Fiction and it's like, for Akiva Goldsman. Buy a minivan, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's not even buying a new car. It's just putting towels on the seat and covering it up. And so it all looks nice. And that's it. You don't realize. <laughs> don't that. sit down. Actually, right. Don't wait, sit down. Wait, well, hold on. That's better. That makes more sense. <laughs> and then here. quick, sell it real quick. <laughs> gotta go. I got a lot more messes to clean up. <laughs> so uh, we've been hearing, I, I want to hear what your theaters were like. I saw the first show in a really large theater in Cleveland, Ohio, and oh. there were... Uh, I think there were eight of us in there, but it was the first show. So I saw it at like noon, um, a huge theater, uh, massive, really great sound, wonderful place to see a movie. And it was very poorly attended. My theater was actually, um, I, it wasn't sold out, but it was a really full crowd. Um, but it was a very, uh, uninvolved yeah. <laughs> audience, but it was one of those films where I'm like, I don't know, as I was watching it, I'm like, I feel like I should be reacting to this, but I'm not. And so maybe everyone else kind of had that. I mean, I'm sure they weren't overtly thinking that, but uh, might have been feeling it. Well, I think the movie moves at a kind of a breakneck pace, right? Through it's, it's breathless. Paces. There's no time There's to feel. There's no anything. time at all. And 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 we talk about the the performances of the actors. They were all superior for what we saw, but they didn't have any time to show us any depth of character because everything was just moving. So I think that there wasn't any way to react to what we were seeing when we saw it. Tommy, how yeah. was your theater? I didn't see the film, but uh, I'm sure that you guys had a good... No, uh, it was... I saw it today, and it was maybe about half filled. Uh, I saw it in Atmos. I do like the Ooh. sound design of the movie quite a bit. Yeah. I thought that actually that worked really well. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, everyone... Like when he makes the joke that he does in the trailer of, you're going to like Earth a lot because of bullets, the reaction from the crowd was like, ah, something to react to. Like it was too, it was, they were laughing too hard at like any kind of the fish, fish out of water stuff, which made me feel like they're just, they want to react to something. Cause yeah, it was, I mean, by the time Jake was in the chair crying and being tortured while uh, his sort of father figure is in the fight for his life. I was like, oh, I don't feel anything. Yeah. There was no emotion there. I'm okay. Like I'm not bored, but I just don't feel anything because there's just been no time. It, it remind. I mean, it's it's very summer fair, right? And uh, I'm sure there will be some number of people that like it. But uh, I see here in the notes uh, is this from you, Andy? It's saying seven point seven three million on opening day. Is that right? Yeah, from what I was looking at, just from opening day um, Friday, I don't think it takes uh, Thursday previews into account. But for opening day, it only made seven point seven three million. Um, they had uh, different people obviously had different expectations and, and estimates for opening weekend, but, um, as I know the stands, studio, the studio started to say like, nope, less, nope, less. Like they, <laughs> yeah, they, right, exactly. Everything right. about this movie is the studio hedging their bets. For I think it, it started from around and 30 million and then it was yeah. oh, 25, oh, 24. Yeah. And now they're expecting like maybe 18 to 19 million if we can squeak it out. So yeah, we'll see, uh, we'll see how well it does, um, you know, I mean, Dunkirk might end up back in first place. I think they were kind of hoping to at least. I mean, it did top the chart on Friday, so who knows? Uh, maybe it could hold out, but I, I kind of feel like it, the 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 people might not go, uh, and it might it might end up falling. So and now we'll Dunkirk see. rated R, right? I think no, it's PG thirteen. Oh, it is. Oh, yeah. see, I was hoping. So I've seen it, um, and I was kind of hoping that the at least the sort of graphic war stuff that we saw would be rated R because when you talk about a property like this, um, where it can definitely have a rated R interpretation, I I think having that sort of lesson, the the more times Hollywood learns the lesson that a rated R film can carry, I, I'm all in support of that. So yes, very much yeah. so. Yeah, look at Logan. 
Yeah, right? Logan, yeah. fantastic. Deadpool. Deadpool. Let's throw it out there. Right. So I'm really excited for the next part of our show, too, because uh, with the sort of conflicted emotions that we have about this movie, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how we move <laughs> forward and that we, we rank it. Flick chart! Oh, come on! I need this! Flick chart! Flick chart! Splitting all the beams, it's flick chart time! Ache, ache! We miss you, oi. Everybody out there listening, uh, if you haven't checked it out yet, go take a look at flickchart.com. It provides a fun way to look at the movies that you love and hate, too, by creating a tournament-style stack ranking system. We go through the exercise here on every show, and you can find our special stack rankings for the TNR Film Board movies at flickchart.com slash TNR Film Board. Where do we start? All right. Well, first up, we have The Dark Tower or Alien Covenant. Oh, I'm definitely The Dark Tower. The Dark time. Tower. And I didn't see Covenant, so. Oh, so it's that's a, right. You still haven't caught up with that one. It's a slam dunk. I can't wait for you to see that one, so uh, we can have alien conversations with you. Because I'm curious. Is, for now, is that yeah. director directly after Prometheus? It is. Then I'll just yes. go see it because I have seen Prometheus. That's the only one I've yeah. seen. All right, next up, Dark Tower or Prisoners? Oh, I Definitely haven't seen Prisoners. Prisoners. The Dark Tower, or Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier. Definitely capped. Which one was that? That's the one with uh, the Winter Soldier. <laughs> is that the one <laughs> where he's Robert like Redford? Like Joey, political, my friend. Yes. Yeah, the political. Yeah, I like that one. Redford. Uh, yeah, Captain Time. Bucky yeah, is his name, by the way. Bucky. I can be Bucky the Barnes. Barnes. Bucky Barnes pops up on our uh, special Patreons only uh, weekend edition. Ooh. Oh. Take a look at that. That's right. Uh, the Dark Tower or the Mummy? Oh, that's a good question. Definitely huh. Dark Tower for me. I think it's Dark Tower for me, too. I'm going to say The Mummy just for fun. Just for fun. The Dark Tower or Snowden? Snowden. I have to abstain. I think I'll go with Snowden, too. Okay. The Dark Tower or Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets? So this I saw that movie. Key for me. because I, we I were actually, this... yeah. Did you I see it, too? I actually just saw it today. Oh, good. I liked The Dark Tower more than Valerian, actually. Oh, were you not on that one? Oh, nope. you weren't. That's right. I listened to that one. That's right. Uh, yeah, I would say The Dark Tower. I actually liked Valerian. Whoa. I was really surprised. I didn't love it. I certainly had problems with both of these films. Yeah. Um, Did you listen Valerian, to our show before you went and seen it? I haven't. I No, I haven't listened to the show yet. Oh. I took the kids to it. My kids loved Valerian. Yeah. They flipped out about that movie. And I kind of enjoyed it. Um, I'm kind of torn on this one, but I think I'll side with Valerian. But okay. you two picked Dark Tower, so there you go. If Rihanna didn't do her pole scene, I'd take oh. my kids to go see it. But Yeah, it's, it, you know... <laughs> really? I'm not ready to explain prostitution to my children. You know, but it's not brought up in any way where kids have any idea what was going on. My son did ask me, though, this is totally off topic, but my son is like, why is everybody talking to him? And so I'm like, oh, they're just right. everybody's friends down everybody here. Everybody got something to sell. It's important because you have to take your kids to it and say, these are called fetishes. <laughs> like schoolgirl, nurse. Like it's, it, they, exactly. That's how they learn about things. Right. Girls on swings. There, yep. there will be a day for it. It's just not ready for my five and seven-year-old <laughs> yet. Not yet. Well, Parker's six, so he's right in the middle. Oh, you know, wait. You did, and six was okay? He, none of that. Yeah, he just he just like, oh, okay. And then it's when Rihanna comes on, it's just dancing. All they, all oh. they had any sense of was that she was just dancing. Okay. For sure. That, that's a big step. I, I'm, yeah. I'm reconsidering now. That's good. They flippin' loved it. I couldn't believe it. They, I mean, My daughter was just like, if they do any more of these, I want to see it right away. Awesome. Wow. Okay. Anyway, to back to Dark Tower. France, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <I> know. <laughs> uh, anyway, Dark Tower ends up at number 26 okay. on our flick chart. So, uh, Ooh, I wish it would have ended at 19. <laughs> oh. 26. Smacked out between Snowden and Valerian. Out of how uh, many? Uh, out of 61. Okay. So if it were number 19, it would be between Captain America, uh, which Cap uh, Civil War, and Spectre. Yeah, it's not as good as those movies. It's not, yeah. And then Ant-Man, Looper, Jurassic World, uh, Winter Soldier, Avengers Age of Ultron, and Snowden. So yeah, I can see why it's not above any of those. <laughs> so for my Letterboxd ranking, I'm going to give it a 2.5. It's right in the middle for me. I think it, it's it's a terribly bland movie, and apart from my feelings of being let down as a fan, I think it's it's fine. I think it handles it, and I'm super happy with the cast, so that's why I put it in there. I'll uh, concur with that, if that means I agree. Two and a half. That's interesting that you guys give it two and a half, but it seemed like you disliked it so much. I think uh, it's it mostly because be of our the fandom. World. Yeah. Yeah. 
It must be the world that's bringing that in. Because I'm a three star. I enjoyed it. I didn't love it. I thought it was pretty bland, but I thought it was a pretty interesting world. So I, I feel like we're so close in rankings, but at the same time, uh, it's just, I don't know. I find that so interesting that you guys are like um, just not huge fans, but but. There are other worlds than these. See, and now for our our heart, no heart. I actually I, I put it on the like side. So that was the difference between this and Valerian for me. Is that Valerian was a not like for me, but this one I I actually liked. Um, again, I, it's nothing. Don't if you read the books, don't just it's it's a dark tower story. It's just another one. And I think honestly, the the revelation that we had on the show here that it could be looked at as the sequel to the books. I think that would be super helpful to fans out there in the world. Um, but again, I, I understand why they're not saying that because of non-fans. So for you guys, is it like or not like? I liked it. I'd watch another one. Tommy? What is this? Like, not like. <laughs> thumbs up, thumbs down. Like, not like. This well, is on Letterboxd, you get When the, do we start know, doing this? <laughs> well, on Letterboxd, you get, the, you get the star ratings, but it also asks you if, you if you give it a heart or not. So, I mean, you can have a five-star film, but it's like, you know, it's five stars, but I don't like it that much. Or, man, that's a one-star film, but I love it. What? I think it makes more, right. much more sense to, for us to evaluate our 2.5s and see whether we liked it or not. <laughs> if I wasn't a fan of the books, I would like. Because I'm a fan of the books, no like. So split that heart. Woo! <laughs> I, st- I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> I, this is new. I think that's totally fair. So okay. uh, where do we go from here? Next month, we have a big anticipated movie for the film board. Kingsman, the <gasps> Golden Circle. Yay! Woo-hoo! Looking at a sequel there. Uh, I'm super excited about that movie. How about you guys? Very, oh, very much. And yep. Andy, over there on the main show, you guys started the full Star Trek a-thon, right? That's right. We did. We kicked it off with motion picture. We're going all the way through Star Trek Beyond. So it's going to be a beefy 13-week series. And uh, it's, it's pretty fun. I mean, and weirdly... As much as I was dreading rewatching Star Trek The Motion Picture, I kind of loved it, and I was totally not expecting that. That's huh. awesome. And so, yeah, but uh, Star Trek II Wrath of Khan is next, which I'm very excited to rewatch. Which is kind of everybody's favorite, right? Yeah, although Pete uh, favorite, kind of alluded to the fact that he might have a new favorite, so I'm really curious to kind of go through the series with him and see what's his new favorite. And didn't we... The one with the Mohawk guy on the bus? <laughs> That's all I remember about Star Trek. Star Trek. 4. That's Star, Star Trek, Trek 4, 4 yeah. Voyage Home, yeah. No, I I think and we just put up on our uh from I think Facebook that there is a uh what is the big events called where everybody can watch Rathacon together in the theater coming out soon, right? Fathom event? Is that happening? Yeah, Fathom's right. Yeah, Fathom is putting it out there again. See, you guys talk about bellwethers. You guys are out there leading the charge. Here, here. Well, I'm really glad we got to talk about this movie tonight, and I'm so glad that we actually had a mixed group of people who had read the books and not, because I think that made for a much better conversation. Um, we'll look forward to Kingsman yeah, next Yeah, otherwise month. it would have just been a lot of me. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody cares for that. I don't know. I, I'm happy that we had you here for all the language, because I don't think... I forgot it, and Andy didn't know it, so... Well, thank you, I beg. <laughs> Good night, Tommy. <laughs> Good night, buddy. Thanks, Andy. See you later. We'll see you in another uh, part of the universe. (laughs) And thank you so much for listening to The Film Board. You can find and follow us over on Facebook and Twitter. And we would love it if you would help us by joining up as a patron on patreon.com slash thenextreel. Consider giving us a rating and a review on iTunes or even better, tell all the movie lovers in your life that they should come hang out with us on The Next Reel. Because when the movie ends, our conversation begins. Till next. See, the point was the Horn of Eld, he had left it behind in Jericho Hill before. And so once the tower takes him back, then he has to re-put it in his knapsack. And that's the chance that this wheel will be better. And it, Does that it, make sense? Did you say you saw the horn? Yeah, I think so. I'm pretty sure that was that's that what why he was drinking out I, of? No. no, that was, it was his, like the weirdest horn is something you blow. That, that weird. <laughs> like, what is that? No, it was that open mouthed thing in the back of his knapsack. The horn looks kind of like a a, a, a Viking horn that you'd be like, through. Oh. That's the horn of Eld. Uh, I did a great job of the horn of Eld. And so, yeah.
So I'm going to keep recording myself well, no, you, and talk about all the dumb stuff for the next 15,000 years. Is that cool? Okay. Well, you can't. I, I actually years, have control ahead. of the button, so you need to tell Ooh. me when to turn it off. Oh, no. This is all. This has never happened before. This is when I shine. <laughs> this is when I get all of my cool stuff after the song when no one's listening anymore. All right. I'll go. Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grand's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. Thenextreel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to thenextreel.com slash originals and get your next read today. (laughs) 